welcome to The Catch. I'm Matt Hansen, freelance editor with FindBet.com. Here, as always, with Brad Mealy, writer and contributor for FindBet.com. We are bringing you the sixth installment of this series where we will discuss everything going on in the world of sports that we can fit into 60 minutes. Throughout this series, we will cover a range of topics, including sports betting and fantasy, along with keeping up with current events, trade rumors, and more. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at find underscore bet and on Instagram at find bet, just one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching find bet. All of our newest content can be found on findbet.com every Monday. Check out the weekly assists to give you all the news from around the world of sports from the past week. And it's all in one place, which is really nice. Um, every Tuesday uh, you can tune in and find out who to drop, who to swap, and who to shop for your fantasy team. Um, and later this week, you can find all your NFL DFS start and sit recommendations, along with betting advice for week seven. Uh, we're back from a one-week sabbatical after missing last week. Since we were last with you, though, the Lakers won the NBA championship, and the Dodgers and Rays advanced to the World Series. Um, Rafael Nadal defeated Novak Djokovic in the French Open. Uh, the finals to win his 20th Grand Slam um, Nadal is now tied with Roger Federer for the most of all time. Tiafimo Lopez Jr. upset Vasily Lomachenko this past weekend to become the unified lightweight champion. Lopez now holds the IBF, WBC, WBA, and WBO titles, um, and a rematch between the two will certainly be on the horizon. Um, if you haven't seen Lomachenko fight, uh, look him up on YouTube. Uh, find a highlight reel and then just kind of watch uh, his footwork, his hand speed, the way he usually moves around the, the ring, controls the pace, and dominates fights. Um, but then find a clip from the Lopez fight um, this past weekend, and it, you won't even recognize him as being the same person. Um, Lopez really came out and set the tone, attacked early with um, accurate punches, uh, and really dominated, I would say, eight of the rounds. Um, and rightfully won um, that fight. Uh, Brad, did you get a chance to see any of that? I did not get a chance to see much of it, but it sounds like it was a pretty, pretty good fight for sure. Yeah, I'm excited for a rematch. Um, you know, there's a lot of exciting young boxers uh, coming up, and uh, Lopez is certainly one of them. Um, but don't be surprised to see Loma uh, uh, get his revenge in the rematch, and uh, I expect to see a, a better Lomachenko uh, when we get to see that fight. Um, but LeBron, as we had talked about, added his fourth championship and fourth finals MVP uh, to his collection, and the Lakers added their 17th title, which now ties them with uh, their rival, the Boston Celtics, for the most in league history. Where does that put LeBron now for you uh, in your all-time rankings, and uh, who's your Mount Rushmore in regards to NBA players, Brad? I think, like – I guess for me, like, I'm sick of the whole Jordan-LeBron debate. Debate, um, Like, obviously, Michael Jordan in his era was the best basketball player of his era, and that's just uh, – it's not debatable for me. And LeBron is the best basketball player of his era. I don't know if you can just continually, like, which one is better from a standpoint. I think the game is different from where – get different today from what it was when, the, uh, when Michael Jordan played. Um, but, like, if you've got to put him on a Mount Rushmore, I think LeBron and, and Michael Jordan are on that Mount Rushmore of the best basketball players of all time. I think you got to put Kobe on it, too. I think that there's a lot of stuff that's come out since his death uh, a year ago that uh, just how much of a tenacious 
player he was and competitor he was. Um, for me, I think he's someone that sought out the best player on every team. He didn't shy away from um, guarding and, and, and defense and, 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 you know, trying to shut that, the best player from the other team down. Um, so he's on there for me. And then I would, to round it out, I think it's going to be Magic Johnson as well. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a product of me living in the late 90s, early 2000s, 2010s of sports. Um, so some of those older guys like Larry Bird and Kareem and Bill Russell, um, a lot of them aren't maybe as fresh in my mind from that standpoint. So, you know, you bring somebody who was in that era more and they're going to maybe lean more towards that. But for me, it's those four on my Mount Rushmore. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, with Jordan and LeBron, I am a hundred percent on board with you there. Uh, for me, uh, I do differ on my last two for my Rushmore. I put Shaq on there. Um, and I also put Larry Bird. And the reason that I use these four um, on my Rushmore is I just look at their individual games. And, um, you know, people always try to compare eras. And when I look at who I consider to be the best of all time, I look at their ability, in my opinion, um, which I'm often told is wrong. But in my opinion, you know, those are four guys that their skill and their, um, their athleticism will translate to any era and have similar success, if not better success in some instances. Um, you know, Larry Bird was far ahead of his time. Um, and, you know, he's basically the stretch forward that every team looks to have now. Um, Jordan changed the game in many ways and really ushered in uh, the, the way for LeBron and, and people like that to, um, you know, have the careers that they've had. And Shaquille O'Neal is probably the most dominant big man in the history of the game. I don't see anybody that's ever, you know, been on the hard court that's going to be able to um, one-on-one -on -one defend Shaq and, and prevent him from getting what he wants. So for me, that's it. But let's move on here. There is one more lone postseason that's still going on, and that's baseball. So let's shift there. Uh, the World Series is now set, and game one has been played. Uh, but to get there, um, let's talk about uh, Randy Arozarena, who became the first player to win the ALCS MVP um, as a positional rookie. Uh, he had four home runs in the series against the Astros and um, set the rookie record for most home runs in a postseason, uh, surpassing, I believe it was Evan Longoria, who was also a Ray. Um, Rosa Reina is also the lowest paid player on the Rays roster which that's a fun fact, and it's going to be a problem for Tampa Bay here pretty soon. Um, and the Dodgers came back from a 3-1 deficit to uh, upset the Braves and the NLCS, not upset them because the Dodgers were the favorites, but uh, upset them since that was quite a sizable lead, uh, an impressive comeback from them. Yeah, I think when you're looking at those two series in, the, um, in that part of the playoffs, you know, the Rays coming through and being the Astros, I think that just is – poetic justice for basically all the Astros who kind of rubbed it in a lot of uh, fans face or maybe kind of gloated a little bit after they got into the, uh, the ALCS. So that was definitely nice. I mean, the Astros, there's no way, like obviously the pandemic hit and the MLB season was shortened because of that. And, and there were no fans. And I understand that, like, you know, obviously that was necessary, but the Astros haven't paid yet from just listening to away fans just destroy them during games uh, in a full uh, slate. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to that. I think that that, you know, hopefully in the next year or two, we'll get back to somewhat normal from a sports fan perspective and we can kind of see how that progresses. But, um, you know, the Rays going to the, the, 
the World Series is obviously exciting. You know, Tampa Bay is actually on track for the the sports triple crown. If yeah. you want to look at it, they've got obviously the Lightning won the uh, Stanley Cup. The Tampa Bay, the Rays are now in the World Series. So if they win the World Series, that's two or three. And you've got Tom Brady in Tampa Bay uh, for the Buccaneers. So really, the, it's a legit shot at, at at completing the sports triple crown from that standpoint. Um, but when you look at the Dodgers and the Braves, oh, the brutal loss for the Braves. I mean, being a f- fan of Cleveland sports teams, I've watched the Indians blow 3-1 leads in not only in the ALCS <laughs> against Boston back in 2009, but also against uh, the Cubs in the 2016 World Series, which was just brutal. Yeah, that was uh, bad. I think the biggest thing with the Braves is once that scoring and once the base running error there in the game seven happened – like pretty much it was a Dodgers game. Like they just kind of clammed up. The bats didn't uh, produce anymore. And that was just basically it. The Dodgers had them by the throats basically from that. Um, so shifting into game one of the World Series, obviously against the Dodgers and the Rays, Mookie Betts, he basically was the jack of all trades in game one. He hit his first home run of the postseason. He also had two stolen bases, which that means free tacos for the entire uh, United States or free tacos for everyone from Taco Bell. So Mookie. Yes, Betts, Mookie. Yep. So, you know, um, steal a base, steal taco is what it was. So there, that's some free pitch. I don't know if we should get paid for that, you know, but at but, least in tacos. Exactly. exactly. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll take a free taco from it, but I'll take anything, but I, I, I really enjoy being able to root for Mookie Betts now because being a Yankees fan, I had to root against him all those years uh, that he was in Boston, but you know, Mookie's one of the most uh, entertaining players I think to watch play. He plays the game uh, the way that you want every player to play. Um, and even though I, it's amazing that he hadn't had a home run in this postseason yet, but he's been so efficient and, um, and an important catalyst for that offense to get going and, uh, and getting back in that series with Atlanta. And I think everything that they're going to be able to do in, in the World Series against Tampa, you know, it starts with Mookie Betts at the top of that lineup um, and just being effective any way that he can. Uh, so good on him. Good on him. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he also had three RBIs in game one too. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he basically matched the entire Rays team offensive production in game one. Yeah. Um, Kershaw, once again, I mean, he's taken a lot of flack for his postseason performances in the past, but he was, you know, obviously pretty much flawless going six innings, eight strikeouts, only gave up two hits. Um, one of them was a solo homer. Um, Pedro Baez and Joe Kelly shut the door to close out the game for the Dodgers. And Tyler Glasgow was roughed up for six runs over four and a half innings four and a third inning, sorry. And uh, he was just too much for the Rays to – it was just too much for the Rays to overcome, especially with Kershaw on the mound. Yeah. Um, the Dodgers won game one, eight to three, and, you know, they're definitely in the driver's seat. But it's – the Rays have the offensive firepower and the pitching to get right back in the series. I don't think any – at any point that the Dodgers are now, you know, in control just because they won game one. No, definitely not. You know, there's uh, a reason that the Rays got here through a very talented AL um, league uh, and they can hit in bunches and put runs up pretty quick. And they have, uh, you know, still, in my opinion, the better the better pitching staff from uh, start to finish. So it's that series is far from over. Um, game two is tonight on Wednesday, where we'll see Blake Snell take the mound for Tampa uh, and Tony Gonsolin uh, will go for L.A. Friday's game three projected starters uh, will be Walker Bueller for the Dodgers and Charlie Morton for the Rays. I'm looking forward to that one. That one's going to be a pitcher's duel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no baseball on Thursday night, uh, but there is football. We get an, an amazing NFC East matchup between Ooh. the Giants and 
Bengals. Woo. Woo. I mean, Fox Let's is, go, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Fox has got to be so excited about that, you know. <laughs> one and five and one, four and one, you know, those are exciting, exciting teams to, uh, to go. But I think the biggest thing when we shift into the NFL now, I mean, the biggest news I think we got to start with this week is, is Tua uh, being named the starting quarterback for the Dolphins. Yeah. Um, I, I, me personally, I'm surprised because I thought, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, they were one and three after week four. Mm-hmm. I thought that the, the call for Tua being named the starter was going to start to get louder, but, the last two weeks, you know, the Dolphins uh, basically, you know, put a whooping on the 49ers in week five. Um, and last week they, you know, they beat the Jets. So they are three and three. Fitzpatrick is playing a, definitely a lot better than he was a couple of weeks ago against Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but now they decide to go to two. And I don't know if this was more of, hey, we're on our bye week. Uh, we've got two weeks to prepare him, to get him up to speed and get him starting the offense. Um, or if it was more of a product of seeing Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert really, you know, blossom into to serviceable NFL starters so early on in their career. So, yeah, I mean, we all knew this was going to come. He's a first-round pick for a reason. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was just the, you know, the stopgap situation until he was ready. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is really loved in that locker room in Miami. So it's going to be surprising to see if Tua struggles a little bit, how that is going to translate to locker room morale and how that's going to translate to maybe some calls for Fitzpatrick to come back and, and what would that do to the rookie quarterback psych because of that? So, well, the one thing that we do know is that that team and probably, I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't love Ryan Fitzpatrick. So obviously that team had rallied behind and around Fitzpatrick since last season, you know, um, you know, he was a big reason for their turnaround towards the end of uh, the tail end of 2019. And like you had just mentioned, you know, he had that team in a positive trend. Um, you know, they're still developing. They did a lot of good things in the draft this past off season, but they're really, I think, overperforming uh, for what they were expected to do. Uh, a lot of that can be owed to Fitzpatrick. And it's just weird timing because I really believe that um, the organization is, it has a lot of good people in place. Um, it's just, uh, it doesn't seem like the right timing when they're still in it to, you know, potentially win that division. So they must feel pretty confident in Tua's health um, and his ability to kind of just kind of drop into place. And they have to, I imagine they'd have to envision him performing better than Fitzpatrick. So we'll see. But uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick did have some nice words about Carson Palmer um, after the news broke, you know, just kind of thanking some of the guys throughout his career that helped um, Fitzpatrick develop into the quarterback that he was throughout his career um, and, uh, you know, expressed other sentiment about being in a position now to do the same thing for Tua. Uh, So as always, Fitzpatrick, uh, a class act and and one of the just coolest guys uh, in the NFL. And um, in, the, in the photos of him uh, in Deshaun Jackson's velour jumpsuit uh, after one of the Tampa Bay games is still one of my favorite moments in all sports. Um, so I'm sure he'll do great, uh, you know, being a mentor for Tua. I hope Tua does well. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I question the decision. Yeah, I think the only thing that makes sense – the only thing that makes sense about the change happening now is them being on their bye week. I think from a competitive standpoint – I don't know if you can justify it 
with where they're at right now. And then with the way the division's played out, I mean, they're three and three. They're second right now. They're only a game behind Buffalo after they've lost the last two weeks. So uh, they've picked up, you know, they've really, they've picked up two games on the division. So I think the biggest thing now moving forward is, is hopefully Tua plays well. I mean, you want to see these guys play well for sure. So I think that that's going to be big. And it's going to be interesting to see how things play out if he begins to struggle a little bit or if games are kind of lost on a play or two because of him, um, especially with the division up for grabs this year. Yeah, yeah. We will see. Houston and Atlanta looked energized after the firings of Bill O'Brien and Dan Quinn. Uh, the Falcons got the first win of the season for Raheem Morris, who is filling in um, for Atlanta. And the Texans fell just short uh, for interim head coach Romeo Cornell. The Falcons look how we expected them to, basically, for the first time this season, um, with the offense clicking and the defense at least being able to stop the opponent somewhat but Deshaun Watson and Ryan Tannehill put on a show in a shootout uh, but it was Derrick Henry who stole the show in that game as he finished with 212 yards on the ground and two touchdowns one of those touchdowns being a 94 yard score which is his second 90 yard touchdown of the season um, he's propelled himself up into being a top five running back for fantasy this year um, and then uh, a couple of sh you know, slower games to start the season um, but he's been really uh pouring it on and he looks to be in midseason form at this point uh so from a fantasy perspective uh Derek Henry looks like he's going to be a monster um for the rest of the season yeah if he can stay healthy that's the biggest thing I mean he's gonna get the volume which we all knew and I'd kind of pounded the table for him from the beginning of the year because he has he's one of the few running backs that is guaranteed to basically get 20 touches a game I mean if you go through the top backs Christian McCaffrey is hurt. He'll be back here probably in a few weeks, but he's one of those guys that's going to get that volume. Saquon Barkley before he tore his ACL was going to be one of the, another court, uh, another running back that got that volume. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at uh, Ezekiel Elliott, as long as things continue from a game plan perspective, he was going to get that. So after those top three, which was, was the unanimous top three picks in fantasy drafts, Derrick Henry, in my opinion, was the next best pick because of that. Now, Alvin Kamara at the time, was having issues with contract situation. Um, and in the past, he hasn't really been a 20 to 25 touch running back. So right. I think that that's that value that, that you can basically guarantee like, Hey, like he's going to get me a guaranteed 10 to 15 points. Mm -hmm. And his ceiling is going to be what we saw this past week of 35 to 40 points, but his floor is 10 to 15 points. So like, yeah. and 10 is that sweet spot. If you got a guy giving you 10 that, I mean, he's doing his, he's pulling his weight. Yeah, the consistency is what I go after for players. Like, I would much rather have players that get me a consistent 10 to 15 points a week than a player that gets me 30 points one week and gets me five or six the next two weeks. So, um, for me, I think that's how you build fantasy consistency or you, you know, how you can basically be consistently productive week in and week out from that. So, mm -hmm. when you look at when you look at the – and we can go back to Houston and Atlanta a little bit. When we look at Atlanta – I think this is, like you said, this is what we expected from them. They they could very easily be four and one right now, not one and four or one and five. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So uh, it's one of those things where I think just the players, I don't know what it is, but I think that just a change was needed. Dan Quinn wasn't getting enough. The defense played better, which was good to see. Um, 
And Raheem Morris, while he maybe wasn't a great coach in Tampa, I think he is the right guy for the job just to bring a different voice to that. And I think the players responded to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, Morris kind of got uh, the short stick there and not really given, I don't think, too too much of an opportunity to, su- to succeed there. Um, so, you know, if, if he can turn this team around, it, it might be his team to coach permanently uh, going into next year. Uh, there's certainly talent there between Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones, uh, who finally kind of had a breakout performance. Um, uh, I don't know. Gurley's been okay. I, he's been better than I expected him to be, but he's just not exciting anymore, and he just doesn't look like he has a burst. It just looks like he's really good at finding holes and then kind of falling forward <laughs> for some yards. Um, but he is getting in the end zone too, so – Uh, You never know what to expect from that team. Um, But talking about Henry, um, I also wanted to talk about another back that had a pretty big week this past week, and that being Kenyon Drake, who uh, kind of finally had that really big breakout game, having 164 yards on the ground with two touchdowns. Do you think this is a a sign of things to come, or do you think that this is kind of just like a, a, a flash in the pan and a brief hot streak that he's riding at this point? I think this is the running back that we all expected when he was drafted, you know, in the end of the first round or beginning of the second round of fantasy drafts. I think for some reason he just, he wasn't producing early in the year. And even uh, Colin Murray throws a huge wrench into everything because he steals so many goal line touchdowns. He just, they run so much QB misdirection there in the uh, bottom, you know, the beginning of the, of the, I guess the beginning of, of games or in the beginning of the red zone there. So like, that's the big issue from that standpoint is, is having that, that red zone threat in Murray was taken away from his production. Now he did get a 69 yard touchdown run basically because Dallas gave up on defense late in the game. So that's a 12 point swing there, you know, yeah. that added kind of padded his score, but he still had a really, he still had really good games here the last couple of weeks compared to where he was to begin the year. If you go to Fine Bet's Twitter account, there is a retweeted uh, picture of of Drake just with no Dallas defender around him on that touchdown run within like 20 yards. It, it looks eerie because there's no fans yeah. either. So it's just, you know, Kenyon Drake in the middle of – He was just social distancing is what he was doing. You know, you know Dallas has done an excellent – they're probably the best in the league at, at that this year because um, they've socially distanced themselves from any opposing offensive player all season. <laughs> But speaking of, of Dallas, you know, Zeke, oh, man, I love me some Zeke. He's one of my favorite players. Uh, but he's got five fumbles already this year. And I, don't, I, I think he has more that he just hasn't lost, but he's lost five. And he's never had a season where he's had more than six. I, I would imagine he's going to break that record, that personal record for himself this year. Um, and without Dak, the Cowboys are going to be trailing a lot, which means they're going to be working in negative game scripts for Zeke in that running game. Um, I, I already know what you're going to say, but I have to ask it. Is it time to sell Zeke, uh, especially in redraft leagues? A hundred percent. I think you need to sell him. I think that we're at a point now when with Andy Dalton as the quarterback and with the way that defensive play has played uh, the, like you just said, I mean, you hit it kind of everything that I would have talked about too. Like the game script going forward is not going to be good for him. Um, Andy Dalton is not the same quarterback as Dak Prescott. And I, I feel like each week Andy Dalton is starting for the Cowboys. Dak Prescott's contract is getting more and more expensive for Dallas. So um, I think that 100% I think you need to explore 
trade opportunities for him. I think even if you can secure a wide receiver two right now um, to kind of pad your pad your uh, stats from that standpoint, I think that is something that you really need to look into. Um, but for me, I just, you know, I just don't see, even with Dak in the games, Elliot wasn't getting um, any type of production because they were still playing from behind. So you're taking Dak out of the equation and you've taken out almost a little bit of the punch from the the passing offense. And now you expect Zeke to get better. It's just not going to happen. I don't think so. I think hundred percent, you've got to look at ways to be able to trade him at least from a redraft standpoint, from a dynasty standpoint, you know, depending on what your league settings are, are set up. I think that he's someone you just kind of hold on to and, and kind of chalk it up to the, the uh, area, the division being, um, taken away from that standpoint. So you just can't – I don't think you can agree on him much anymore from that. Now, we'll touch on the, the NFC East as a division. Um, since you just – I heard division and, and we're talking about the Cowboys, uh, we will get to that. But one thing that the Cowboys, I think, in my opinion, have to do is they need to just be committed to continuing to feed Zeke the ball because at this point you have to utilize Zeke to open up the passing game for Andy Dalton. You know, it's the exact polar opposite of what their strategy was um, with Dak to start the season where, you know, he's a threat to throw for 500 yards. So that's going to just let you, you know, dink and dunk to Zeke on screens and hand them off the ball, you know, 13 times to, to him a game. But now you need Zeke to be that workhorse to open up the passing game because they're just going to start stacking the box and sending the blitz constantly at this team and in some quotes that I found um, about Mike McCarthy, players aren't happy. Um, anonymously, they were questioning the Cowboys coaching staff, and they were quoted as being totally unprepared, that they don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. They just aren't, <laughs> they just aren't good at their jobs. Those are some strong words coming from players uh, about the coaching staff, but I think they're right. You know, everything that you would criticize Jason Garrett uh, during his tenure as Cowboys head coach is it's the same. It's worse though now. And I feel like the roster was, was better, especially, you know, obviously when, when they had a healthy Dak Prescott, Um, but you add CD lamb and, you know, uh, Alden Smith gets added to that team, that to that defense, and he was temporarily leading the league in sacks. Um, I think after three weeks, and they're just so bad. I, I just don't understand it. Especially for you know the big thing with Mike McCarthy this year when his coaching staff, like he was billed as like all right, like he took a year off and he dove into analytics and he went over to PFF and was you know working with those guys and like. Work, like and then you get he gets back into a coaching gig and he's doing the same things that he was criticized for at the end of his tenure in Green Bay. So I'm not I mean that for a coach that has only been coaching six weeks and, and on a new team for players to already be coming out and, and kind of working the back channels from a criticism standpoint. I mean I if things don't turn around quickly I'd be surprised if McCarthy made it more than one year as a Dallas coach. Like I know that, you know, we, you and I both know that Jerry Jones is not someone who is going to cut bait with a coach that quickly. Exactly. Like he's, I mean, he's been known to have, you know, he's stuck by coaches, especially ones that he's believed in for maybe longer than he shouldn't. Jason Absolutely. Garrett is a prime example from there, but yeah, 
I don't know if he has the same loyalty to, to McCarthy this early on as he does, as he did with Garrett. So I wonder, I wonder what the situation would be. I mean, offensively, they're doing fine, especially with Dak. It's defense that needs to be fixed. So I don't know if that's Mike Nolan that needs to be removed from the equation or if there's something from a philosophy standpoint that needs to be changed. But, yeah, I just don't see this team getting any better with what they've got right now moving forward. No, not for this year. And and like you had mentioned, the value of Dak Prescott is amplified and magnified um, at this point, if this is the way that they're going to look without him coming from where he came from, he's still the, I think it's the fourth or the fifth uh, highest fantasy scorer in the league. And that's after missing the last week and a half. Um, so he's, that kind of goes to show you what he did in those first uh, four weeks of the season before his injury. The crazy thing about that and not to interrupt you is he, after not playing for one week, he still leads the NFL in passing yards. He didn't play an entire week less than, you know, like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and um, Russell Wilson, who had his bye last week, obviously. But yeah. he still leads the NFL in passing, and he did not play a week because he's hurt. And he'll probably still be in the top eight in passing after this week, and he's not played oh, two yeah, weeks. probably. But then on the flip side of that, even when he was doing that, they still weren't winning. And, again, you can point back to the defense to a point, but to a point also in this league today, as we know, quarterbacks win and lose games. So it just doesn't make sense that you're getting this type of production from your quarterback and you're not translating it to wins. Like there's something severely broken in, in this machine and they need to isolate and find out what that cog is so they can replace it uh, and get it working because the window for old Jared to win another championship is closing rapidly. And I think he knows that. I think that's why he might move off of McCarthy quicker than we've seen him move off of coaches in the past. Um, but the team is too damn talented to waste losing seasons. Um, you know, you can't really change a major injury like what happened to, to Dak Prescott this year. But um, just overall, they need to be better. Um, that whole division needs to be better. Um, and they really make the case for the NFL to implement um, a relegation system uh, like in European soccer. Because as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to see any of those four teams uh, in the NFL next year. Um, because then we get situations like this where we're having to watch them in prime time. Yeah, the, and I don't get what the leagues or I guess what networks uh, obsession is with the NFC East. It always seems like there's three or four Sunday night football games every year that are NFC East games. It always seems like a Fox game of the week game is an NFC East game or a Monday night football or Thursday night football. It's like, like let's take a year off from the NFC East. Like we've got are we paying attention, Brad? Like are we as fans paying attention? Like it, do the Cowboys and the Eagles actually play each other like six times a year and they put that on TV all six times they play? I feel like I always see them and like the Cowboys and the uh, the Redskins are playing or the Eagles and the Giants are playing. Like I feel like they play more than twice a year. Yeah, it's just – I don't know. They're way better matchups, I think, on a week-to-week basis, whether it be in different divisions or different, uh, you know, cross-division rivals or, you know – those type of things that allow, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it just, maybe it's a ratings thing and I'm, you know, I'm not privy to uh, from a marketing standpoint and, and how much, you know, people are tuning in to those games, but this is the, the same Dallas team that's got five or six primetime games a year that also had to send a letter to their fans to say not to cheer when their offense is on the field because <laughs> of 
that can't hear the calls. So, you know, I'm not sure how much it goes along the lines of, oh, they're just a great fan base. I would venture to say that actually Dallas probably doesn't have that great of a fan base in my opinion, but that's just coming from a, a Bills fan whose team, you know, whose fans are, are borderline insane about their football team. Yeah, let's let's reset it here, Brad. We've been way too negative here these past couple of minutes. You know, we're just we're just angry because both of our teams took pretty bad L's this week. Uh, you know, my Browns look terrible, just awful. Uh, and you know, your Bills they took a little spanking uh, of their own. So you know, we're a little salty. So we apologize. Um, but your fantasy teams may also be uh, in a situation where they're coming off of a bad loss. So uh, let's hit a couple of waiver wire targets that, um, you know, based on Yahoo uh, roster percentages are guys that you should be looking at if you need to replace some talent um, across your roster. Uh, let's start out with one of the more obvious ones. Um, I'm actually surprised that he's only 50% owned still, considering he's now over the course of a couple of weeks kind of established himself as the primary receiver for his team. Uh, but that's Travis Fulgham of uh, Philadelphia, who is still only 50% rostered um, across Yahoo leagues. Um, but he's got a touchdown in three straight weeks. Um, and I don't, I mean, I'd have to say he's basically become Carson Wentz his number one option there. Don't you think, Brad? I, at least looking at his past track record for sure. I mean, until some of those other receivers get healthy, he's the kind of the guy that the passing offense goes through right now. And I mean, if you even look at who their tight ends who scored touchdowns last week, Jason Kroom was just pulled up from the practice squad and he scored a tight end. So, I mean, you look at Philadelphia's struggles and injuries are a big part of it. I think yeah, from that standpoint, I mean, you look at the offensive line and, you know, Miles Sanders is going to be out for the game uh, on Thursday night against the Giants. So now you've got Austin uh, Scott time, baby. Austin Scott is going to hop in there and we'll see what can happen from there. But uh, at least right now, I mean, he's a guy that you can plug in between COVID and between buys and between injuries. I mean, you can definitely do way worse than Travis uh, Fulgham on the waiver wire this week for sure. Who else do you like? I think, you know, the big, obviously, Running backs are always the biggest, um, I guess, go-to for the waiver wire. Everybody's trying to get that next hit and or trying to fill in an injury or <laughs> pick up the guy who had a good week last week. Next so, hit. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? <laughs> you know? um, Justin Jackson, I think, is an obvious. He's only owned in 51% of leagues on Yahoo. Um, and he played better than Joshua Kelly, I think. For some yeah. reason, coaches don't seem – you know, you look at L.A. and you look at um, – you look at Baltimore and you've got a legit running back in both of those teams that are playing well, but the coaches continue to rotate guys in and out for some reason. I don't understand always the logic from that, but Justin Jackson right now, I think is going to be the guy that's going to be taking over at least most of the carries for, for uh, an injured Austin Eckler. He had a good week last week against, um, you know, a very good uh, Saints defense mm. when it came to the run um, two weeks ago, I should say. Um, and uh, so they are uh, – Jackson, I think, is, is going to be somebody who's going to be very serviceable for uh, the next few weeks, at least until Eckler gets back into the mix. Yeah, and only 51% owned uh, across Yahoo. You know, you should be pretty readily available in most of your leagues. Um, I'm going to stick with the Chargers, and uh, I'm going to go with Mike Williams at receiver for uh, – at 53% rostered, you know, he's a guy that last year we saw develop into a one of the premier deep threat uh, 
receivers in the league under Phillip Rivers and now with Justin Herbert, who's got arguably a, a much better arm. Um, you know, I think that as they kind of start to develop chemistry, I think he's going to be someone we're going to see kind of catch fire towards the end of this year um, as him and Herbert get some more time to work. Um, so while he's still available in just under half of the leagues out there, um, I recommend going out and getting this guy because at the rate that we're seeing people um, and, and players get injured, uh, even if he's someone that's sitting on your bench for now, you know, if he does catch fire and start to become a, a more relevant fantasy threat uh, later in the year, uh, you may need uh, somebody like that to come in and kind of save your roster um, based on uh, an injury or two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think another person that you got to look out for this week from uh, a running back standpoint is Jarek McKinnon. It seemed, you know, Raheem Mostert, we both talked about how much we love him. I know obviously you love him and I'm, I'm a, you're an old pro and I'm a converted, I'm a new converted uh, lover of Raheem. He's my favorite son. My favorite yeah. son, Raheem, he's hurt again. He's hurt. Yeah. And it's a high ankle sprain and it looks like it's going to be bad. for at least three or four weeks. Oh, I can't take it. I just feel like yeah. just conceding the rest of my fantasy games now that I don't have Raheem in my lineup again. Jarek McKinnon, though, I think he's the guy that's going to step up. Tevin Coleman's still on IR, so he's not going to be there this week. And you got um, – he's really the guy who... – Yeah, other than that, it's what, Jamichael Hasty, probably, right? Yep, yep. He'll be in there for backing him up. I think if you're looking around the rest of the league, Henry Ruggs is another guy I think if he's available. Obviously, he was hurt there for a little bit with mm-hmm. the hamstring and now he had his first breakout game uh, two weeks ago against uh, the, the Chiefs. And so they're coming off their bye this week and only owned in 51% of the game. Um, and so only 50%, only 51% of, of leagues across Yahoo. So it's, he's another one. I mean, again, now we're getting the meaty bye week part of the schedule where you're going to lose two or three starters a week to two buys. And so mm-hmm. you've got to be able to plug and play and be a little bit flexible with who you're filling in from there. Good point. And I'm probably the most surprised by this last one I want to talk about, and that's Tim Patrick, receiver for Denver. Um, You know, we're seeing them come off the win now against New England, uh, but Patrick's put together two straight 100-yard receiving games, and with Drew Locke back now, uh, starting quarterback for the Broncos, um, I expect Patrick to continue to get some good work, um, considering he's shown the ability to kind of carry that load as a primary uh, receiver. So, yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't have any more guys to talk about. Any more waiver targets for you, Brad? No, no, I think that that pretty much covers most of who you're going to want to spend your money on this week or, or put your priority on for sure. And later this week, Brad will have his uh, DFS article out, and you can uh, get an idea on some of the guys that you should target for your lineups uh, in your daily fantasies for uh, week seven. Um, so later this week, also, I will have an NFL Power Rankings article out. Um, and Brad, we're looking at kind of the, the rough draft of a list that I've put together here. But let's go through. And what I want to do here is just kind of start crossing off teams. And we'll kind of keep track of this throughout the weeks as the podcast continues and the NFL season goes on. Um, but let's start crossing off some teams that we think just have no chance of turning their season around. Uh, teams that we think that it's safe to just say, you know, they probably aren't going to have much of a chance to have any meaningful success this season and at this point they're likely tanking for a draft pick Uh, I'm going to start out with the most obvious one 
Um, and we can go, you know, as many as you want here. But uh, the, the most obvious one is the New York Jets. They just look absolutely terrible, almost to a comedic uh, level. And Adam Gase, I, I, is Adam Gase still the, the coach there? Is, has he been fired yet? Uh, has he? Not yet. I mean, I don't, I don't know how he hasn't been fired yet, but he's still the coach. So I don't even want to talk. They just disgust me. It's mainly Adam yeah. Gase that disgusts me. But And they're beginning to trade off some of their veterans. They just traded Stephen Clendon to the Bucks after their game in Florida this past week. So he basically – McClendon hopped on a, in a car from Miami and drove up to Tampa Bay after he was traded. Maybe so that's what they're going to do. They're just going to start shedding players everywhere anytime that they have an away game. Exactly, right? Like, <laughs> see, whatever teams in that state want those players, they'll, they'll save on some travel expenses too. Um, obviously another team, I think that another two teams from the NFC East, at least that don't have a chance at Washington and New York, the giants. So, um, I don't know how much there is to talk about. They're just not good. And the Washington is expected. They've got Kyle Allen as their QB. They benched Dwayne Haskins. there, firmly in the driver's seat for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, uh, next, uh, April in the draft. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. There's not much to say other than they're not very good. No, and they have some good pieces there. You know, we, we obviously have seen Terry McLaurin can be a number one receiver um, despite the people that he's had to, to work with at quarterback there. Um, and Antonio Gibson has shown flashes as a, as a rookie running back there. Um, but not a whole lot to root for uh, in Washington. And, you know, they don't even really have a nickname uh, to root for either. So pretty rough times for that fan base. Um, and the Giants, you know, with Saquon going down, that's obviously a huge blow. But – they also just, you know, very reminiscent of the Cowboys. They just kind of look lost on defense as well. And um, just not a whole lot to root for. I guess you kind of have to put the, the Cowboys in a worse situation considering they're not doing much better and they have a much more talented uh, roster. But for me, I, I agree. I think the Giants and Washington, you can add along with the Jets. Uh, there's no chance they're turning their season around. There's no chance for the playoffs for them. Uh, and the next one I want to talk about drives a stake through my heart because just like my favorite son, Raheem Moster, uh, my second favorite son is Gardner Minshew. And for a while, it looked like he was going to be tank proof um, and prevent Jacksonville from completing their tank because they also, I'm sure, uh, want Trevor Lawrence in the draft next year. Um, so they're doing their best to, to stay in the sweepstakes for Trevor. Um, you know, I think they, they, they're only at one win right now, and, and they don't really look like they're going to be able to put together too many. Um, so just based on the amount of teams that are going to be competing for playoff spots in that, in that conference, uh, I'm putting Jacksonville on that list as well. Uh, what do you think, Brad? Yeah, Jacksonville, again, they're just – they've. I think they set an NFL record for losing to the most winless teams in a row. Like for three weeks in a row, they gave each team their first wins. So it's pretty dubious uh, – achievement by the Jaguars uh, I think moving on you've got the Eagles and the Chargers and the Bengals are kind of in that next tier where they're they're competitive but they're just not good enough if that makes any sense so um, the Bengals have obviously have a bright future with Bur with Joe Burrow as their quarterback the Eagles are decimated by injuries so it's you kind of chalk that up to almost it's going to be kind of a lost season for them and the Chargers are kind of in the same boat they've had a few injuries to players um, they've got a rookie quarterback in Herbert who has looked very good through his first three or four starts in the NFL. Um, but just from a talent perspective and from a seasoning perspective, they're just not there yet. Yeah, I agree. And really, you know, 
for me, I, I, I find it hard to put the Eagles on this list yet just because the NFC East is so uncompetitive and, you know, all they really need to do is catch you know, four wins in a seven or eight game stretch and they could win the, the division, I guess. Um, the Chargers, probably I can make less of a case for that for the Bengals for sure. Uh, less of a case, you know, I, I really don't think the Bengals, you know, for me, I could add them on that list, but to make it unanimous to do it, I don't know if you're ready for that. Um, the Cowboys, same situation as the Eagles. Um, the Falcons, you know, they, they could still put it together, so I'm not going to put them on there yet. Uh, the Patriots, surprisingly, are dangerously close as well for me uh, on this list. Um, they're a little bit uh, higher on my power rankings, at this time right now, but, you know, I think in regards to talking about teams like the Eagles or the Cowboys or the Bengals, you know, I think the Patriots are in that conversation. Um, what say you, AFC East fan? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they're out of it, but I think that teams are beginning to figure them out offensively, and I don't know if they have the talent on offense anymore to overcome some of the deficiencies that they've begun to show. So uh, Cam Newton, I think, definitely – Incredible quarterback. I think he's – but I don't know if he has enough weapons around him to kind of make up for what they've lost. Their defense is going to be really good. But at the same time, like, it's – you can only stop a team so many times before they, um, before they, you know, are able to kind of figure things out and get some things moving in the right direction. So, I think when you look at the next tier after those teams, you've got Denver, you've got Minnesota, and you've got Detroit. Um, you know, Denver, again, another team – completely decimated by injuries this year. Um, Drew Locke came back last week and uh, I think he went like 10 for 24 for like 180 yards mm -hmm. and two interceptions and still beat the Patriots. So uh, interesting stat line there. He really didn't do much. I think it was more the, the Denver defense that kind of won that game for them. Um, but then you've got Minnesota, which has probably, I think, been the biggest disappointment in the NFL this year when it comes to teams. They're one in five. Um, they lost to Atlanta last week. It's just – I'm not sure Mike Zimmer is even safe from being fired this offseason. I don't think anything happens during the season, but if things don't turn around quickly – I mean, this was a team that was talked about as a Super Bowl contender at the beginning of the year with everything that they had from on the defense and from the offensive standpoint. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because uh, just like Dallas, you know, their offense has been good all season, you know, and, and – Kirk Cousins has had a couple of bad games, I guess you could say, you know, and last week it started out with a terrible first half and then he ended up having a uh, phenomenal second half, uh, completely making up for it. But um, one thing about them is, you know, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson have both performed at an extremely high level and been good fantasy performers. Um, and Dalvin Cook has been, um, I believe, the second best statistical uh, fantasy running back behind uh, Alvin Kamara this season. So uh, same thing as the Cowboys, just uh, all that production, not translating the wins. Yep, absolutely. And, and from that standpoint there, we can touch on Detroit a little bit too. I think it's more – just coach incompetence than it is actually talent on that team. I'm not, it's amazing for as good of a coach as Bill Belichick is a lot of the coaches that have come out of his tree have just not been good NFL head coaches. And I think Matt Patricia is going to be one of those other, another coach from that tree that just doesn't pan out as an NFL head coach. Uh, you know, the lions inexplicably continue to give uh, Adrian Peterson multiple carries every week at least a 50-50 split from their rookie DeAndre Swift. And Swift this past week had 16 carries over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Adrian Peterson had 11 carries for 50 yards and a touchdown as well. So 
again, I'm not sure what NFL coaches have in their minds. If there's like a, a brotherhood of coaches that just stick together and like, Hey, we're just going to rotate terrible running backs through our, our, our team every week. And, and these guys that have no business getting carries in the NFL right now, we're going to give them five carries just because that's what we want to do. I think it's an inside joke amongst coaches. It NFL. must be like, I don't know if they've got a, like a running bet to see how many, how long they can do it before they get fired or what the issue is. But yeah, I just, <laughs> it's like I'm super sure. troopers when they're doing the meow bit, um, when they pull the guys exactly. over, it's like, Hey, yeah. Hey, how many times do you think I can give the ball to Tony Pollard before people start asking questions? <laughs> exactly exactly so who's next for you after the lions it's tough um because at this point we're we're at a point where there's a lot of teams that have a lot of questions and, and they could go either way you know the panthers have managed to keep their heads above water while christian mccaffrey's been out and i think he's going to be out again this week but you know at this point uh he could be back at any time if they can if they can get a win against New Orleans this week, uh, which would be a huge divisional win, and you know give them kind of a an extra arm's length while uh, McCaffrey's nursing his injury, um, you know they could go either way. For me, the Raiders have been really good and really bad this year. They can go either way still. The Niners have been able to continue to win games while they've endured probably the most injuries um, of any team so far this year in a really injury ravaged season. The Bears. I don't like, I, I don't understand how they're five and one, um, but good for them. Uh, maybe it'll continue. Their defense is really good, but their offense, I don't understand how they ever score points because the switch from Trubisky to Foles really hasn't done much for the passing game. And David Montgomery has been overall really inefficient all year. Um, I think that they were really anticipating for Tree Cohen to reassume a bigger role offensively for them this year. And then when he went out with the ACL, I think it kind of threw what they wanted to achieve from an offensive standpoint. Um, the Browns, another team there. Uh, my Brownies, I still think they're, they're good. But I think I had said before, they weren't as good as a four and one record um, had represented them to be, but they're also not a bad team. Um, and we kind of saw, you know, what happens when you have a bad game plan and you execute poorly against a team that is really good on both sides of the ball. And the Steelers just kind of, you know, whoop them for 60 minutes in a really bad loss. Um, but those are kind of the teams that are there um, next in line for me. Um, other than that, you know, you're really talking about teams that have performed and, and been good all season and kind of given the impression that, you know, it's, it's more the reality uh, versus just kind of like a, a short, hot run. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I kind of agree with that middling group. Like, there's a chance they make the playoffs. There's a chance, you know, the Bears are 5-1. and one. I think their only good win that they've had this year is against Tampa Bay on yep. Thursday night last week. Um, that was definitely a big surprise. That defense is playing a big role in that for sure. Um, but when you go after the Browns, like you've got you've got the Dolphins, who are now switching to two, I actually think I would knock them down a few pegs just because I think two is going to go through those growing pains a little bit. I think he's going to have a throw or two that Ryan Fitzpatrick wouldn't make that's going to possibly cost him a game or two down the line here. You know, just bringing that up again, it's just wrinkling my brain, man. I don't understand. Like, I think Brian Flores is, is a fantastic coach. And for him to make this move, I just, it's making my mind in a pretzel. I feel like, yeah, it's... I feel like Cal Notton Jr. I feel like I don't understand. <laughs> maybe he knows. I mean, maybe we should be bumping Miami up into the top 10 at this point uh, if he's that confident about it. But I just don't get it, Brad. Yeah, it's, it's not something that, 
like you talked about, the only thing that makes sense about it is it happening during a bye week. So he's got two weeks. That's really the only thing that makes sense. And only time is going to tell how good of a decision it's going to be able to, how good of a decision it is with the results that they get down the line here. Um, but I think another team too, that is maybe not as good as what their record is, is the Rams. They're four and two. They've yep. beaten NFC East teams and they've lost to teams that we would consider good teams, I guess, or, or above average Interesting. Teams. You're on notice, Los Angeles Rams. We're on yeah. you. We're on to you. So, you know, you've got the Saints who have struggled on and off. You know, some weeks they look good, some weeks they look bad. I think they're going to get Michael Thomas back this week, which is definitely going to be a boost for their offense. Uh, and the Colts, man, I, I just don't know what to think about the Colts. They – I don't know if they're a top-10 team. Are they not a top-10 team? They. I don't feel good about it. I – just for transparency's sake, I have the Colts at ten. I don't feel good about it. I don't yeah, know. it's just I don't know if they're there yet. I mean, their offense kind of finally broke out of a slump there last week again, but it's against Cincinnati, so a lot of teams are scoring against Cincinnati. Um, I think I'm more worried about their defense than their offense. You know, from from there and and what's going on with Ty uh, uh, T Y Hilton? I wonder. You know, like yeah, he was supposed to be. Phil, yeah, Philip Rivers come in. He's going to be you know, rejuvenated and he's going to score all these points. And I mean, he's barely been on the stat sheet the first half of the season. So. Yeah. Him and Juju both, um, you know, weird because both the offenses are clicking both the quarterbacks thrown for a lot of yards, scoring a lot of points. But um, Juju is another guy just like Hilton that for some reason, this did, they're just not getting the stats. They're not getting the looks. I don't know what it is. I guess I'd have to go back and kind of watch some more of the games, but it, it doesn't make sense for Pittsburgh and Indianapolis to be having all this success. And um, guys like Hilton and Smith-Schuster not really being uh, making any type of effect uh, on these wins. For sure. Um, and then, you know, going into the top 10, you get Arizona, you got Buffalo. Um, two good teams. Uh, Buffalo's kind of had a couple bad weeks here on offense uh, yeah. and defense. You know, the defense has struggled. Um, Green Bay and Tampa Bay, I think, definitely are playoff teams for sure. Yes. Um, and I'll let you kind of round out the top five with and, and, and go from that standpoint. But I think so, those teams right there are, are, are well positioned for where they're at in the ranks. Yeah, I think that that's kind of about the right place for them. And then it's kind of like TBD, you know, just like any team at this point in the year. But, you know, it's kind of TBD, especially for those teams, because, you know, we, I think that we all feel pretty confident about them being contenders. It just – where to position them at this point. So at this point, what I have in the top five are the Ravens, Seahawks, Chiefs, Titans, and Steelers in that order, which is exciting because we do get that uh, previously rescheduled Titans and Steelers game. Uh, now two of the three remaining undefeated teams in the league will be facing off this week. Um, and uh, the other undefeated team being the Seahawks also inside of the, the top five there. The Ravens, I almost struggle to put in the top five, um, but it's hard not to in the sense that, you know, they, they haven't been playing the best competition, but they've been getting the wins where they need to get the wins um, with, you know, their only blemish being to Kansas City this year. So until they kind of hit a more meaningful part of their schedule, um, we'll wait and see on them. Uh, the Seahawks really are at four just because they probably suffer from, uh, you know, having the bye week. So we didn't get to see anything from them uh, this past week. Um, the Chiefs, I thought the Bills had a chance to win that game, and, and the Chiefs really just gave them no chance the entire time. Um, and the Titans and Steelers, for me, they're 1A and 1B. They, they both are playing 
uh, excellent defense. Uh, the offenses seem to be able to get what they want and uh, but not settle. Um, both of them are creative in the ways that they get the ball into their playmakers' hands. Um, you know, with the Steelers, you know, finding ways to continue to utilize Chase Claypool in the offense um, with his huge four-touchdown performance two weeks ago, um, but still um, being effective uh, in the game against Cleveland. And um, for the Titans, well, I guess I have to admit Ryan Tannehill is just really good. Right. I mean, he's he's probably going to be in the MVP conversation if he keeps this up this year. Yeah, I think you almost have to start looking at quarterbacks now. Like you almost have to like, is the quarterback bad or was the coaching bad? Or like, was the coaching not developing them enough? Uh, because he really kind of plateaued and then began to regress in Miami. And then he comes over to Tennessee and he's got Matt LaFleur for one year. And then he's got Arthur Brown now as his offensive coordinator for this year. And and so it's one of those things where. I don't know. Like, I think he is a good quarterback. I, I don't know if I'm sold on him yet. I, I just, my gut is telling me that he eventually is going to kind of come back to earth a little bit and the Titans are going to kind of come back down. I mean, they almost lost to Houston last week. And again, granted, that's a division game, but they had to go to overtime to win that game. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm on that board. Yet. I think it's <laughs> a good game, but I, I'd give the, I think Pittsburgh is going to win that game, in my opinion. The thing I like about the Titans, um, and Coach Rabel is that they don't make a lot of mistakes. And they play very – it's very impressive what they do. They play conservative football, and they take risks at exactly the right times, it seems like, um, in nearly every situation. So, you know, they just give themselves high chance for success. Whereas the Steelers, like when I watch that Browns game, they just come out and they hit you in the mouth for 60 minutes on both sides of the ball and um and they don't take the the foot off the pedal so it's going to be an interesting matchup I probably am going to take the Titans um I don't want to bet you again because I don't want to lose the naming rights to my fantasy team again (laughs) but I'm on the other side of that I'm going to take the Titans uh to come out of that uh battle of the undefeated um still undefeated um also probably you know subconsciously I just want to you know get some revenge for the for my Browns uh, taking that embarrassing loss really quickly on, on the Browns Baker Mayfield looks like he's hurt. Um, he, he appears like he's, you know, going to continue to try to play through injury. Um, but there has also been rumblings about, you know, Odell Beckham uh, being kind of disheartened by the situation. Um, and you know, he's been pretty good in his year and in, in seven games with the Browns so far, in my opinion, I kind of keeping his temper in check. Um, but now that we're kind of starting to hear some more public rumblings about him being dissatisfied, uh, I know I saw some some people like Stephen A. Smith kind of calling for, you know, it's time for Odell and Jarvis to request trades out of Cleveland. Um, I'm not saying they're wrong because um, I've watched a lot of quarterbacks come through Cleveland since 1999. And uh, so I know what a quarterback looks like that isn't going to make it. And Baker Mayfield's hitting more of those boxes for me than um, a quarterback that is going to. Um, let's put it this way. When Case Keenum came into that game, he did some little things of just like looking around and checking at, you know, his progressions and looking at a second and third receiver um, and just throwing the ball away at the right time. Um, things that Baker Mayfield doesn't look comfortable doing. He just looks like a quarterback with happy feet that is um, just kind of concerned about where the hit's coming from. Um, and in that Pittsburgh game, the pressure was uh, fast and furious, uh, Vin Diesel style, and he just was not able to, to handle it whatsoever. Um, 
that's a lot of rambling about my team. So let me remove myself from the situation, Brad, and give me uh, some outsider's perspective on it. Yeah, I, I, I think that the game last week, I think the Browns, I think a healthy Mayfield is plays better in that game. But I think you're right. I think he was thinking about where the hits were coming from. He threw that really bad interception into like triple coverage there early on in the game. And I, I don't know. I think the Steelers just kind of pounced on that, that uh, situation. Um, but I think he's going to be better from here on out. You know, I, I, if he can get a chance to heal. Um, but I'm not sold on where he's at as a franchise quarterback. You know, I think that if you're just looking at somebody who's going to be a game manager, I think you can get that in case Keenum. Um, but I, I don't know where the Browns go after this year if they don't feel like they have that answer in Mayfield at quarterback. Um, and especially with Mayfield coming into a new regime now, new regimes are a lot easier to – shed uh, old regimes players a lot easier than they would when it's their own players that they, they draft or brought in. So uh, it's going to be kind of an interesting year, especially if the Browns kind of sneak into the playoffs as a sixth or the seventh seed um, because of their schedule, because of uh, you know, how, who they play and, and how they, they get, I think them getting in at nine, seven or 10, six is definitely something that is possible for sure. So it's going to be interesting to see where things and how things shake out as the year goes on for them. It is possible, but, man, they're going to have to get a lot of those wins with their uh, non-division games because having to match up uh, with the Steelers again um, and um, Baltimore again, um, you know, <laughs> might not get wins there. But we'll see. So let's uh, really quickly just hit a couple of the notable games uh, for Week 7 in the NFL. Um, the Panthers and the Saints we had discussed earlier, they're squaring off in a divisional matchup. Panthers sitting at 3-3, three and three, Saints sitting at 3-2. and two. McCaffrey's still not expected back for this one, but if Teddy Bridgewater and the gang can uh, kind of keep it together, and if they can come out of this game 4-3 and three, uh, ahead of the Saints in the division, then that would be a situation where if McCaffrey comes back, you know, they can maybe keep that momentum going. So an important game there uh, in an NFC matchup. Uh, next one is the Browns and Bengals. Browns at four and two. Bengals at one, four and one. The Browns really need to win this game, in my opinion, to stop the bleeding. Um, not to be over dramatic about it, but you know it was a bad loss last week. There's a lot of questions and uh, concerns going around in Ohio for the the Browns and the Bengals are more competitive than their record looks. Um, in my opinion, this is a trap game, and it could turn into a, a bad two-game sequence for Cleveland. Um, Brad, where else do you want to go here? I think that if you look, I think Seattle and Arizona is another uh, game this week that's going to be really good. You know, I think the NFC West is the best division in football, in my opinion. Um, so those games, those division games are always going to be good, and it's going to kind of be a toss-up to see who wins those. And you've got – Packers and, and Texans, I think the Texans, I think it's going to be a higher offensive game, which is going to be good. So, um, you know, those are, I guess, the other two games this week that I'm kind of excited to watch for sure. So, Yeah, and uh, the game of the week that I think is unanimous game of the week for everybody, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, both 5-0 and heading into this one. Um, you know, we kind of talked about them to an extent already. Anything to really add on them, Brad? No, I don't think so. I think that, like, you did a good job of hitting. I think it's going to be – I think defense favors in this game, and I think Pittsburgh's got the better defense. So I think that um, Pittsburgh has the advantage. But I think it's one of those games that also can go either way for sure. Absolutely. Well, it's that time again. That's all the time that we have this week. 
I want to thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. Go to FindBet.com to check out all of our newest content this week where you can find out who to drop, who to swap, and who to shop on your fantasy team. Betting advice for week seven of the NFL and continued World Series coverage. Remember to follow us on Twitter at find underscore bet and on Instagram at FindBet, just one word, to know when all of our new content hits FindBet.com. Thanks again for joining us on The Catch. And until next time, may the waivers be in your favor, my friends. Goodbye.